Galatians chapter 3. I would also ask that you pray for me. This Friday, I meet with Kurt Williams from TNW Construction. Uh, we'll be meeting around noon and just basically uh, see what we can do. I want to try to get some, something in motion. Uh, we're not forcing anything, but we do want to make preparation uh, in regards to a fellowship hall, a recreation center. I am certainly not interested in debt or big debt, but I also believe we, we could do something. And so uh, meeting with him, and I just ask that you pray that God gives wisdom and direction there. So, all right, Galatians chapter 3, if you are able to stand, let's begin at verse 13. Verse 13, the title, the title is The Blessing of Abraham, The Blessing of Abraham. All right, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now then, it's like he's doing a contrast. He says, now with men's covenants, they keep those. Well, how much more with Abraham and God? And so, <clears throat> let me read it again. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many. I know it can seem kind of difficult in the wording. I'll explain it later. But as of one, and to thy seed, singular, which is Christ. Amen. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it disannul the covenant through Christ. Uh, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. I know the reading sometimes can seem a little difficult. But I'm not, there is no way I'm ditching my King James Bible for something that so-called reads easier because if you read it and you look at it and you think about it and you pray about it, God will reveal it to you. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> I just think we need to be wary of watering it down just for simplicity's sake. Maybe God says, I want you to come up rather than sink down. Come up, learn. It's a spiritual book, and he teaches us through the work of his spirit and through his word. We learn the word through the word. So, Lord, bless the message. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the opportunity to preach this evening. Bless your people, and may you bless this special music now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord, boy, that's a, that's a sermon and a song there, isn't it? All right. <clears throat> Thank you, young people. All right, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13.
Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So I want to zero in on two things this evening. First of all, the curse of the law, then the blessing of Abraham. Because we won't appreciate blessings unless we understood the curses that we were under. And I think just like you don't appreciate mercy unless you understand uh, justice, unless you understand guilt. People don't appreciate God's grace unless they were fully aware of their inability to redeem themselves from hell. That's why the whole counsel of God needs to be preached. That's why people need to hear about hell. They need to hear about sin. They need to hear about uh, judgment of God so that they appreciate the mercy and the love and the grace of God. Hello. I mean, they got to hear it all. We've got to hear it all. I know some of it's not that comfortable, but we won't appreciate one if we don't have the other. And so we come to this idea of the curse of the law. And actually, before I even zero in there, I need to, again, mention why this is written to the churches of Galatia. Paul is trying to uh, correct some false doctrine that has infiltrated these churches. And in that false doctrine, has, there's a work salvation that's been presented. Uh, Jews from Jerusalem have traversed through the different churches in Galatia, and they come in, and they come in saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus, and then they begin to teach the law of God, the, the, the laws of Moses and Jewish customs, and they begin to teach it in such a way that it was understood that if you did not apply these Jewish, Jewish customs and these obey these Jewish laws, circumcision being one, if you did not obey this, then you weren't quite saved. You hadn't quite met the, met the standard for salvation. And that began to make people doubt. Some people believed that. And as a result, they started preaching that. And when you preach that, people don't get saved. They get confused. And so Paul has to uh, clarify this because another thing that happens when you preach a work salvation, it'll produce hypocrisy because the reality is nobody can live up to the standard of righteousness that God expects when it comes to salvation except Jesus. And so uh, we're only in th through the merit of Jesus Christ. That's how we're in. We're not in through our own righteous merit. I know I'm talking to the choir for the most part, but this is doctrine that you need to hear over and over again, and there's always a few new people that need to hear this. The most important doctrine in the Bible for you to learn and understand and be familiar with and to be able to share with others, the most important doctrine is the doctrine of salvation. Now, it's exciting to learn about prophecy, it's, and I think we need to learn an element of prophecy. And it's exciting to learn about dispensationalism. I think there's a need there in learning how to study the Bible. But there is nothing more important you and I can learn than the doctrine of salvation, having a full grasp of it so that we can teach it to others. If you don't have that, all that other stuff means nothing. It means nothing. And so, Paul is... Uh, uh, trying to knit this in the bud with this letter amongst these churches. So let's consider this idea, the curse of the law, for a moment. That is not saying that the laws of God are wicked and evil. Hello. 
Have you ever read that, maybe, and thought, well, that looks like the law is a bad thing there. Now, you don't even have to raise your hand, because I've done that. Maybe you're not like me, but I've read it. That, well, that kind of sounds like the law is a bad thing, the curse of the law. Oh, no, 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 the law is not a bad thing. It's not, it's not testifying that the law is wicked, the law, the law is under the curse of God. That's not what it's saying, not at all. It's talking about the effect the law has on you and I. You see, because the reality is this. We, uh, we see our sin when we are exposed to the law. And when we are exposed to the law and see our sin, we see the we experience the guilt that we ought, if, if you still have any senses. I realize some people in our culture and our world have hardened themselves beyond guilt. That's a scary place. But the reality is you, you see your sin and then you feel the guilt. And then when you become aware that there's a consequence on this sin, the soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Well, what's that in reference to? Is that just physical death? No, that's eternal death. Okay? But there are consequences on sin. And so when you realize that, oh, you've got this, and I can't live up to it, well, apparently I'm, I'm condemned. I'm cursed. Are you with me? Okay. So <clears throat> let's, we're going to do a Bible study here. Don't lose your place here in Galatians chapter three, but we're going to bounce around a little bit. I want you to turn over to James, or Galatians, yeah, turn over to James chapter two, James chapter two. In James chapter two, so for instance, somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, I'm following the laws of God, I never killed anybody or anything like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I want you to visualize Somebody hanging from a cliff. Is, is this on? Visualize somebody hanging from a cliff with a chain. A chain, not a bungee cord, but a chain. So kind of visualize that. Now I'm going to read this, and then I'll go back to the visual. James 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of what? All. All. So let's look at this chain. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Don't have idols, okay? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. Uh, I mean, don't steal. Don't lie. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't covet. I feel like I missed one. Huh? False. Well, I said don't lie. And I said Sabbath. I said, maybe I said them all. So anyways, let's see these links. Here the person is, dang you're dangling. You're dangling off this cliff. You're dangling out over the Grand Canyon. I mean, they got you on a pole there, and you're dangling with a chain. Let me ask you this question. How many of those links have to break before you fall? Just one link. And you only have to break one commandment to be condemned. That's it, just one. Adam and Eve did one thing, one. And so we need to understand when it talks about the curse of the law, it's talking about, listen, if you think you're going to live by the law, then you better live by all of it. 
Well, what's going to happen is you're going to find out you can't if you're honest with yourself and God. That is the reality. You'll have to be a pretender. But that won't cut it with God because God removes masks, especially when we meet him. Now, <clears throat> that's, the way, that's the reason Galatians 2.16 Galatians 2.16 says, uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I'd like to turn over to Romans chapter 7 real quick. Don't lose your place in Galatians 3, please. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul and his personal testimony. We can learn so much about the Apostle Paul through his per- these letters, because he gives a he gives out a lot of his personal testimony. And in chapter 7, when we read this, honest to goodness, uh, I, I felt like, well, that's how I felt right here. But I'm going to just read verses 7 through 10. So Paul says this. By the way, in chapter 6, he talks about, uh, or chapter, uh, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he talks about everybody being under condemnation. Chapter 4 and 5, he talks about justification through faith. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, he talks about sanctification. What is the process if you're justified by faith? Well, in chapter 6, he deals with uh, the dying to self and, and understanding the work of grace. In chapter 7, he talks about the weakness of the flesh. And then chapter 8, he talks about the power of the Spirit in our lives. But here in chapter 7, he says this, verse 7, What shall we th- say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. It's not, it's not sin. It's not evil. The law was a, the most wonderful, wonderful set of oracles from heaven that hu- the humans had ever received at that time. And God gave them to Moses to give to Israel to give to all of us. Thank God for the laws. Hey, thank God there's a law that says you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. You ought to honor your mother and father. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't lie. Hello, thank God for that. Even if you're selfish, thank God for that. Because the law means there ought to be justice. And when somebody uh, uh, would break those laws in a way that would hurt you, oh, I'm glad that there's going to be justice. And though I may not be able to give justice, there is a judge. And the judge of all the earth will do right. Now, verse 7 again, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute. So, uh, walking on some grass... In a particular uh, neighborhood, I'm cruising along, walking across the grass, and then I see this don't walk on grass sign. Well, I wish I hadn't have seen that. But now that I see it, I'm accountable. Hello? Now, before I'd seen it, I wasn't accountable. It may not have been right, but I could have honestly, sincerely pleaded ignorance. But now that I see that sign, it's like, oh. And the sidewalk's all mud over there. They got that all tore up. Too much traffic out there. I want to walk on the grass. 
But the sign says no. Well, that's what the law does. Paul said, I had not known lust had I not saw, thou shalt not covet. Now here's Brother Paul. There's a guy that was keeping those commandments. I'm sure he, he's pretty true to his word for the most part. And, uh, he honored his mother and father and honored the Lord. He was doing the best he could in it with the knowledge. But then he'd get down to that, thou shalt not covet. And boy, even in your heart, if you don't steal and you don't lie, Jesus raised that standard so high. He said, you know, if you look and think wrong, that's sin. Hello? That's sin. And, you know, you might say, well, I would never behave that way, but sometimes I can't help being envious inside. And maybe you can even control it with your mouth. But it gets on your heart now and then. Or bitter. Or just greedy. It's like, what is that? What's that? I thought I had that covered. It's going to be there. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. And God's law exposes our wicked human heart. And the reality is, <laughs> we see the curse of the law, the effect of the curse of the law. Going back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. We will appreciate this now, if we haven't already. Christ hath redeemed us. He redeemed us. That means he bought us back. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 verse 14 that we're sold under sin. Sold under sin. We were under this curse. But when I received him by faith and sought his mercy that he made available to me. Matter of fact, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he was laying mercy out there for everybody to receive it. When I received that by faith, understanding I needed it, he gave that to me, and he removed me from the curse of the law. He bought me, bought with a price, therefore glorified God in my body. I was sold under sin, the law had placed a curse on me. Thank God Jesus redeemed me. And that's what he did for you if you called upon him. So Paul is reminding these Galatians of the work Christ did in their lives. Now we move on. And he says this. Being made a curse for us. Well, how did he do it? He took the penalty for us. Amen. He substituted himself for us. By the way, uh, just a reminder for those, or it may not be a reminder, some of you may not be privy to the fact that in the Bible, the serpent is representative of the curse. And in the Bible, brass is representative of judgment. When Moses had to make this serpent in the wilderness and put it on a pole and hold it up, it was a brazen serpent. It was a picture of the curse being judged. I don't have time to go into the whole story, but um, that was the remedy for snake bite at the time. 
And then Jesus says in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he saying there? Why was he uh, likening himself to a, a lifted up brazen serpent? Because he was acknowledging, I'm going to take the curse of humanity upon myself and be judged for the sins of all humans. Hallelujah for that. Glory to God for that. If you never shout again, that's worth shouting about. I mean, hey, listen, you can get excited. I can get excited about a football game. I can get excited about uh, not too many basketball games nowadays. But, uh, 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 but listen, I get excited about this. This is where, hey, listen, this, if God never does anything more for us, he's done enough right here. If he never, never puts another nickel in our bank account, if we never get to have our way at Dairy Queen again or Burger King again, oh, well. God has done everything, uh, more than I deserve right here. I am going to heaven. Anything else is icing on the cake. Anything else. Tragedy and crises, and I hate to say it, great crises and tragedy can come to my life, and yet the reality is nothing can take away what Christ has done for me. That's exciting. That's comforting. And by the way, that's a message that needs to be shared. And that's why we as God's people need to be so familiar with the doctrine of salvation. I'm spitting all over myself. Okay, so next, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham. Now, if you were paying attention in the reading at the very beginning, you may have noticed Abraham's brought up a few times. How many of you noticed that? Okay. Paul knows these, uh, I'm going to use the term Judaizer. I know that may not register. It just means Jews who have come in and tried to turn Christians into Jews rather than stronger Christians, okay? They're, try, they're presenting a work of salvation. Judaizer, so that's what that means. <coughs> Paul knows the Judaizers are taking the law and lifting it up where Christ should be lifted up. And they're doing it because that's their culture, that's got history behind it, it's got time behind it. And in their minds, they're doing it because long before Jesus died, the law was in existence. The oracles of God gave us the law. And so, Paul says, well, they're going to play that game. I'll go back farther. I'll go back to Abraham. Because there wouldn't be any Jews without Abraham. There wouldn't be any Moses without Abraham. It was through the seed of Abraham that we get Isaac, and through the seed of Isaac that we get Jacob, and so on, that we get Jesus. And God had a plan from the very days of Abraham, and God let Abraham in on the secret. I just love this little study here. Let's, let's look at the blessing of Abraham, okay? We need to begin with Genesis 12, 3. And I hope you got a few minutes. If you're in a hurry, slip out. Be quiet, though. Don't interrupt people that want to stay. Genesis 12, verse 3. Um, look at this. So what is this blessing of Abraham that he's talking about? He says, and I will bless them, God says to Abraham, in Genesis 12, 3. By the way, Abraham has just left Abraham. 
his family, his father, he separated himself from them because they grew stagnant in the land of uh, Haran, which means wasteland, by the way. They grew stagnant there because uh, dad quit going the direction God wanted them to go. Abraham steps out. And God says this to Abraham now that Abraham is separated. By the way, God will speak to you and I even more when we separate ourselves from obvious evil and wrong that he's already been speaking to us about. If you want to know the will of God with more clarity and more understanding, and you know there are things in your life, influences in your life that are wrong, and you have the the uh, uh, ability to remove yourself from it. Friend, I'm telling you, when you do that, God will have another message for you. I'm telling you, you're stepping in the light. I think there's a song about stepping in the light, isn't there? All right, so, uh, Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee. That's why we bless Israel. And curse them that curseth thee. And in thee, look at this closely, shall all families of the earth be what? All right. Now, we read that text and we say to ourselves, well, it doesn't seem like all families of the earth are blessed. The reality is all families of the earth can be blessed because of Abraham. That's the reality. Uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, we can point the way to the blessing, but people don't have to go. This blessing, this blessing of Abraham begins here in Genesis 12. Now, to get a further understanding of it, let's go back to Romans. We're going to be flip-flopping a lot in our Bible. It's just something we do here. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Uh, let me see. I want to make sure I'm correct here. Oh, you know what? While you're, do you still have Galatians marked? Okay, good. Take a peek at Galatians real quick. We are going to be in Romans in a moment. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. Verse 9. Galatians 3, 9. So then they which be of faith are what? With faithful Abraham. Huh? We're on the same footing. Those who are of faith, and we're going to talk about that. Now come back to Romans 3, verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through works. Oh, the same way? Jew and Gentile say the same way? That's exactly what it's telling us. By the way, long before there was the law, justification was by faith. Allow me to show you. Genesis 15. Genesis 15. I know you're probably out of markers, but if you want to tear off little strips of your prayer sheet and put it in there, I don't care. Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 6. 
By the way, at this point in Abraham's life, he does not have a child, though he's been promised a child. He and his wife are getting old, and they are beyond childbearing years at this time. But God promises him a child. He's going to have this weird dream, and he's going to see some things that are going to take place here with his people, or this, his, great, his descendants. But in verse 6, well, look at verse 5. Verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, God speaking to Abraham, and tell the stars that thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now, he, he's already beyond childbearing age. His wife is as well. And, and, but the Bible says this about Abraham. So he, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for what? That means God put to the eternal count of Abraham righteousness for the simple act of faith in a promise. In a promise that was a long ways off. In a promise that appeared impossible. But Abraham said, I believe. I believe. What a blessing it is when we just say, God, I believe. I believe. I, I don't understand, but I believe. I keep praying. I'm not getting the answer yet, but I believe. And just believe. Oh, I'm telling you, simple faith in Jesus Christ. God puts his righteousness to your account. Now turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Okay. <clears throat> so this is not just an Old Testament thing. This is written in the New Testament, and it's illustrated by Paul to the Romans. Romans chapter 4, look at 1 through 3. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, seems like Paul had to deal with this issue quite a bit back then. Hello? Because it's human tendency to feel like we've got to earn it. We've got to do it our way. And in so many areas of life, we should be responsible and independent. And so many, but there's no way we can do it when it comes to heaven. There's no way we can do it when it comes to being accepted by a holy God. We need complete dependence in Him. We need to see our limitation. Verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If it was by works, he'd be glorying in himself. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Let me just read on, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth unto him that justifieth the ungodly. That's Jesus. His faith is counted for righteousness. Hallelujah, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a difficult thing, but the devil wouldn't like to make it difficult in people's lives. So, we see this idea of the blessing of Abraham. It's available to all of us, all of us. And if you've received Christ as your Savior, you have the blessing of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, see your descendants, look at the stars of the sky. Can you count them? No, I can't count them. And later on, he'd say, and neither can you count the sand of the seashore, but your descendants will be that many. Well, how's that going to happen? It's happening. People, there's going to be a lot more people in heaven than you think. There really is. 
There'll be people there, you think, oh, they made it. You know how, you know how they got there? The same way you got there. The blood-bought way. The faith way. The grace way. Because they received a gift. And I know you and I could have judged them on this earth and said, sure don't look like it, sure doesn't appear like it. I don't, I'm not seeing anything. God knows His children. He knows His And hey, by the way, while they're here, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And the Lord speaking to His children says, and everyone that nameth the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. They should. But they don't always. But whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And sometimes he takes them on to heaven. Even though they didn't get right, he takes them on to heaven. Hello. So we move on. The faith, faith, faith. And by the way, this is specifically faith in the promise of the Son of God. We looked at verse 16 through 18. I've got to be fast here. 8.15, right? We're still on the 8.15 time clock. I like this. I think I can do this, okay? All right, so look at this. Uh, so verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed, Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. I know that sounds, but he's just talking. Abraham was thinking, well, because Abraham did have more than one biological child. He had Isaac, then he had Ishmael, and la, 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 la. And then Isaac had more than one. Or, yeah, he did. And then Jacob had more than one, right? See, many seeds. But all along, there was one in mind. One seed in mind. And it's all pointing to Jesus. The lion out of the tribe of Judah. The bright morning star. The scepter of Jacob. Uh, the author and finisher of our faith. The lily of the valley. Uh, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and last. Emmanuel, the Lord with us. I think, uh, I think you've heard of him. So look at verse 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ... The law, which was 430 years after, cannot annul that it should make the promise of none effect. So, Abraham, somehow, someway, was able to see this plan that God had. Where do you get that from? Glad you asked. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. I'm going to find it and read it because we've got to get moving for time's sake. Hebrews 11. Look at verse... Uh, 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him, 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 emphasis on him in a figure. Who's that him? Anybody got a guess? If you say Jesus... You're right. If you didn't say Jesus and you were thinking about it, we'll give you points as well. All right? The answer is Jesus. Abraham saw Jesus in a figure. He saw him in a figure. And by the way, Abraham, Paul is telling the Galatians, Abraham was saved by faith, faith in the promised son, not Isaac. Oh, no, but another son. He was coming. It, oh, he was happy about Isaac. He was delighted about Isaac. But Isaac could only do so much for him. But this next son, he could lift him up out of this world and bring him on into glory. 
and give him hope for eternal life. Yes, sir. Okay, so now, uh, look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. The Lord Jesus has... John chapter 8 is just an amazing chapter. I will refrain from going into all the details, but he concludes this chapter with a strong conversation with the uh, Pharisees. And in John chapter 8, verse uh, 56, he says this. He says this to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham, physical father, or biological descendant, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Jesus is telling these rabbis and religious leaders, your father Abraham, he saw my day and he was glad. So he lays it on the line. So the question arises, when did he see his day? Well, we read in Hebrews that he saw him in a figure. Well, you need to understand the whole life of Isaac is a picture of Jesus. Isaac was a miracle son. I mean, he was a a miracle son that God gave Abraham and Sarah at the age of 100 and the age of 75. So, I don't know, if you're still hoping, who knows? (laughs) He can do anything. All right, uh, So I want you to look at uh, Genesis 22. Genesis 22. By the time we get to Genesis 22, Isaac has been born, the miracle baby. He is the delight of his mother Sarah, the love of his mother Sarah, and the joy of his father Abraham. In Genesis 22, though, he's a young man. I think, I'm trying to get his age correctly, he's in his 30s. No, that's kind of amazing. In Genesis 22, Isaac is in his 30s. Now, verse 1, God says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, first of all, the word tempt there, don't get scared. James said God doesn't tempt anybody with evil. He's not tempting him with evil. He's tempting him. It's test. The idea is test, and he's not tempting him with evil. He's testing him to see where his faith brings him in his obedience to the Lord, where his heart's at, because his heart, listen, he's been a dad in waiting for a long time. And now that he's here, it's easy to lift up a child, isn't it? It's easy to adore our children. That's normal. And so... Verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of where? Moriah. Pause. Now go over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Chapter 3. So he's supposed to go to the land of Moriah. He's supposed to go to this place called Moriah and sacrifice his son. It's a three days journey. We come to 2 Chronicles 3. Verse 1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at 
if you have it, what does it say? Jerusalem. In Mount what? Pause. So apparently with the scripture we understand that Moriah, Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. Was the Lord Jesus crucified in Jerusalem? Oh, four of you said yes, so. We are Baptists. We do allow people to speak and shout and say amen and glory. I realize. But anyways, uh, yes, right there. He gets to the top of that mountain and is ready to draw back the blade and God says, wait. By the way, Isaac complied just like Jesus did. He complied. And then right before he brings the blade down, God says, wait. Now, first of all, why would Abraham do that? Because Abraham believed God. And he knew that either God was going to provide a substitute or God's going to raise him up from the dead real quick. Because he knew this was the boy that he gave him. And sure enough, he did. He had a little ram in the thicket, the thorn bush. Was our Savior crucified with the crown of thorns? I mean, that's so clear in the Bible. Come on. It's almost like the author knew what he was doing. I mean, it's like, though, though there were over 40 different humans God used to pen this thing, in a process of over 2,500 years, it's like there's just one author who knew the beginning from the end. And I'm just here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you're in the family. You are in the blessings of Abraham. They're there for you. We have heaven. We have the Spirit of God abiding in us. The promises of God before us. An inheritance that awaits us. An opportunity to serve and earn rewards in heaven as well. Plus, right now, we got it pretty good in America. But that's so trivial compared to all we got in glory. Father, bless the message. Thank you for the Word of God. May the Spirit of God help us this evening to have a good grasp on the blessing of Abraham, and on the process and the means of salvation. And Lord, I pray that you touch hearts and encourage people. We're going to have a song of invitation. If you have to slip out, I do understand. But you do as the Lord leads as we get ready to sing here. Brother Brian, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you.